0: What's up, everybody?
1: Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 199. We're getting close to 200 now.
0: I know, it's a lot of episodes, man.
1: It is. So today we are switching it up a bit, and we are diving back into the world of aliens and alien abductions with Mr. Travis Walton.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to to cover Travis Walton's story because it's one of the most believable stories, honestly, Mm -hmm. out there, and there's actually quite a bit of both. Physical evidence as well as just eyewitnesses to the event.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm pretty compelled by it.
0: You're compelled. You're not mm-hmm. not skeptical about this no. one off the bat.
1: Josh wanted this to be a skeptic versus believer episode, but I really, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not I'm not so. Like you're full not skeptical believer, but... against
0: all alien abductions. No, definitely not. Okay, okay, that's just good. Certain ones. It's good. I like the open mindedness we have today. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Mm-hmm. It's definitely needed for this one.
1: Yeah, I'm very curious about. Travis's whole story it's pretty interesting
0: it is it's a story I mean it happened in the 70s and to this day I mean he's still he was just on Joe Rogan not Mm -hmm. too too long ago and really the way that the telling of the story never really changes and what I like about Travis is that he doesn't embellish anything really like he doesn't he doesn't try to like make it more than what it was and he's very very content with being like I don't know where I went or what mm-hmm. happened really, but this was what I experienced. He's this is what I remember. fairly confused. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think we'd all be confused yeah. after, after having an experience like he did. Mm-hmm. It's one of those uh, experiences on my bucket list still to be abducted mm-hmm. by an extraterrestrial. That
1: better not happen.
0: Well, if it does, then...
1: So I'm going to be left with the baby then.
0: No, I'll come back. They usually bring <laughs> you back eventually, so I'll come back and tell you all about it. But that's what we're gonna be diving into today is the story of Travis Walton. And before we get into this story, I just wanted to quickly remind everybody that our merch website is indeed down. And that's because we're moving providers right now. We're trying to figure out the best way forward with merch. We are working on some new collections though. So there's definitely gonna be new merch being released hopefully here in the next month. I'm hoping at some point in May we'll be able to get it all back up and also release a new collection for you guys. But
1: We're completely redoing how we do merch, where we buy our merch from, and how we ship, just everything about it. So we have gotten tons of messages. We know that the website is down. It'll be back up soon. Yes. And we'll keep you guys updated.
0: This episode of Mile Higher Podcast is brought to you by Stitch Fix, Modern Fertility Express VPN, Raycon, and Tushy. More on them later. But let's go ahead and just jump right into the story of Travis Walton. And we're going to start at the very beginning of Travis's life. To just give you some context of who he is and where he came from.
1: So, Travis Clifton Walton was born on April 23rd, 1957, in Arizona, to his parents, Vernon Walton and Mary Holden. He has two sisters, Diane and Allison, and three brothers, Warner, Donald, and Dwayne. The Walton family lived in the small town of Snowflake, Arizona. It was one of those towns where there was nothing secret, everyone knew everything about each other typical small town life oh yeah and they all knew each other's business
0: yeah especially in a town this small Mm -hmm. you're gonna know everybody's business for sure
1: snowflake was founded by mormon pioneers so it's been a very mormon area for over a century now and travis really was never all that religious though his mother said that travis was a hard worker who was very smart and skilled with electronics he didn't drink or smoke because he thought it would be bad for his body he kept in shape by eating healthy foods and practicing karate his friends liked beer, and Travis preferred apple juice and whole wheat bread.
0: Mmm. Very are...
1: wholesome young man. Yes, yeah, very good. Travis actually attended bull riding school when he was living in Oklahoma when he was 21. Yeehaw. Yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't really his thing, it turns out. But he did enjoy his job at the time as a lumberjack. Travis worked for his best friend Mike Rogers for almost 10 years, and they worked together on forest improvement contracts in the nearby mountains.
0: Yeah, so basically they go up there and like clear brush to prevent wildfires and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So on November 5th, 1975, 22-year-old Travis met up with six of his coworkers for just another day at work. Mike Rogers, Alan Dallas, Dwayne Smith, Ken Peterson, John Goulette, and Steve Pierce. The group was set to work on a tree-thinning contract in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest. The loggers would thin out the undergrowth in the forest so that smaller trees could grow more easily. Ken tried to call in sick that day, but Mike convinced him to show up anyway, as they were running behind on their contract with the Forest Service. Three people had just quit at once, which put them behind schedule. It was a chilly autumn morning in Snowflake when the crew met up at Mike's house. The men piled into a truck and set off for the mountains. They headed about a half an hour west to Heber Overguard and then an hour up through the mountains to their work site on the Moyon Rim. Three men sat in the front of the truck, an old harvester travelette, while four sat in the back. Mike and Travis were best friends, but the crew didn't always get along. Travis had actually gotten into a fight with Alan that morning in Mike's backyard. Alan had actually gone to Travis's girlfriend's house and told her to break up with him. Travis found out that Alan was trying to steal his girl, which really set him off, and the two got into a physical fight over it. Alan tried to take a spin kick at Travis, but he missed and wound up falling on his ass. The issue calmed down and the men left for their job, but things were tense and they had work to do.
1: Eventually, the crew arrived at their spot in the Turkey Springs Mountain area and got to work. They worked on thinning some of the undergrowth and cutting a fuel reduction strip to help prevent forest fires in the area. Mike was 28 and the oldest member of the crew. He was in charge of making sure the work was completed smoothly. He built up his career over the past nine years, bidding tree thinning contracts from the Forest Service. Mike was able to estimate the price per acre of the jobs pretty consistently, so he figured out a way to underbid the other contractors and still turn a healthy profit. The Turkey Springs contract was a huge achievement for him. So far, it was said to be the most profitable contract of his career. Travis, Allen, and John were saw workers, and the other men piled trees behind them while they worked their way up to the strip. They had to be very mindful of Dwayne while he worked, Dwayne was new to logging, and he was eager to get the work done. He wasn't experienced enough to realize when he started working way too close to Travis. Travis had to watch out and make sure that the trees that Dwayne cut didn't fall on him. It was definitely annoying, but Travis still appreciated Dwayne's effort. On the other hand, Travis hated Steve's work ethic. When the boss went absent, Steve would always try to take advantage of that and would screw around instead of working. Alan was the fastest worker out of everyone in the crew. He could clear trees like crazy, and his work sped up the jobs quite a bit. Everyone knew that Alan had a temper. He had gotten in fights with nearly everybody in the crew. Travis thought that Alan might owe his speed to his anger. It was like he was taking out his frustration on the trees. Of course, Travis had already been on the receiving end of Alan's anger that very morning. But when the crew got closer and closer as they made their way up the strip, that anger began to bubble up again. Travis thought that he and Alan had put their differences aside in Mike's backyard, but all of a sudden, Travis looked up and saw a falling tree heading right toward him. He jumped out of the way, and thankfully, that close call didn't actually hurt him. But when he looked up to see who cut the tree, he made eye contact with Alan. A chill went down his spine when he saw that Alan had a mocking grin on his face. Travis revved his chainsaw and went back to work
0: mm, some bad blood between those yeah, two
1: not good after a while the temperature started to drop and Travis felt the chilly mountain air numb his body but the Sun set pretty early in Arizona during this part of the year and once it disappeared behind the mountain ridges the temperature would drop down to the single digits by nightfall
0: it was almost time for the men to go home Travis watched as the Sun dipped into the western sky and checked his watch It was around 6 p.m., and sunset had come about 15 minutes early that day. But the crew continued to work while the sunlight faded. Mike was a little ways away piling up trees, and Travis shouted his name, and Mike held up the stop work signal. Travis was relieved it was finally time to go home. If there were no car troubles, they'd get back before 7.30. The crew powered off their chainsaws and headed for the truck. They loaded up their saws, oil, and gas cans neatly into the back. Everything had to be arranged tightly so the cans wouldn't spill on the bumpy mountain road. Mike shut the tailgate and the men hopped into the old pickup truck, and the crew sat in their usual spots, smokers in the back and non-smokers in the front. Travis didn't care for cigarettes, so he sat in the passenger seat. The crew headed up the mountain ridge toward Moyon Rim Road. It was going to be a bumpy hour-long ride to Heber up the uneven forest roads. There were water bars on the road that prevented it from washing out during heavy rains, and whenever the old truck hit the bumps, it made a dull clanking sound as its body bounced. Everyone was still pretty warm from that day's work, so the crew rolled the windows down, and Travis stared out the window as the mountain landscape passed by. He loved the fresh air and the stillness of the nature around him. Logging was hard work, but he could still appreciate the scenery. Meanwhile, the smokers lit up their first cigarettes in hours, and the crew cracked jokes about the worn-out pickup truck. When suddenly, Travis noticed a light shining through the trees about a 100 yards ahead of the truck's right side, At first, he figured it was the setting sun, but he realized that the sun had already set a half an hour ago. He thought it might be some headlights, campers, or possibly a fire, and the weather was clear that day, so lightning hadn't struck one of the trees, so it probably wasn't a usual tree fire. But as they drove closer to the light, the crew noticed a strange glow too, and the men fell silent. The truck drove close enough to see the light for a brief moment, but the trees immediately blocked their view again, and it was too hard to tell what it was. Mike then drove past a clearing in the forest, and then about 40 yards ahead, a yellow glowing light washed over the road ahead. Suddenly, the light started dropping out of sight. The crew tried to figure out what they were seeing, but nobody could come up with an answer, so Mike sped up to get a closer look.
1: When the truck got to a clearing at the road's edge, the men were shocked by what they saw. Less than 100 feet from the truck, there was a giant, smooth, metallic saucer floating only 15 feet above ground. It was covered in a bright glowing light. John shouted out for the truck to stop. And then Alan said, it's a flying saucer. The men were all in awe. Their hearts pounded. They knew instantly what the bright light was. Travis was worried that it was going to disappear. So he hopped out of the truck and just started walking towards it.
2: As soon as we stopped the truck, you know, I started hurrying towards it. It was... um... It was uh, hovering just the other side of a pile of logging debris that was uh, placed in the middle of the clearing. They always put them in the middle of clearing so when they burn them, it won't damage any trees. And uh, this craft was hovering in the clearing, the other side of this pile of brush. And so as I hurried towards it thinking that it was going to take off uh, before I got that close, I could see it wasn't leaving and I was getting a lot of second thoughts about what I was doing, you know, because I was hearing more and more of this incredible sound that it was making. And plus, uh, Steve and the other guys in the truck were uh, saying, uh, you know, get away from there, get back in the truck. But you know, I was looking up at at about a 45 degree angle, and it was filling my whole view, you know, so it was probably at least 20 or 25 feet in diameter.
1: So Travis is just walking towards this, which I thought was really ballsy of
0: him. He was drawn to it.
1: I guess so. The rest of the crew is shouting at him at this time to come back to the truck. But Travis just kept walking. He didn't want to miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see what this object was. The spacecraft looked about 15 to 20 feet in diameter and 8 to 10 feet thick. Travis cautiously moved closer and closer to the UFO. He made a few nervous glances back towards the truck as he walked, and the crew continued to plead for him to come back. They could feel the UFO's vibrations tingling through their bodies.
0: Which you can imagine. I mean, a craft this big that's clearly being piloted with some type of anti-gravity technology is basically like distorting the time and space around it. Hmm. So you're going to feel, it's going to feel very different from where Travis is versus where the rest of the guys are in the truck. So Travis is starting to sort of enter its gravitational field. And he's starting to feel the intense vibrations that it's creating in order to, you know, create this sort of bubble around it.
1: So Travis kept inching closer to the UFO until he was about six feet away from the center of it. He could hear faint, low, and high-pitched mechanical noises coming from the saucer. It was like nothing he had ever heard before. And then all of a sudden, the noises grew louder. It sounded like a bunch of turbine generators were revving up. The UFO started spinning on its axis, and wobbling like a top. Travis crouched down in fear. Then an insanely bright blue-green light beam hit him with an incredible force. Travis was instantly paralyzed by the blow, and he fell unconscious. His senses completely disappeared, and his vision immediately went black. The crew heard a noise like a lightning strike and saw the beam hit him like a grenade. They watched helplessly as Travis's body arched backwards, with his legs and arms outstretched.
0: Like, yeah, like this
1: the classic,
0: almost like yeah,
1: UFO abduction image. Exactly, floating up like it's taking you by your. Well, heart.
0: That, this is what that's like from. Oh yeah,
1: it originates here.
0: This is the original hmm. UFO move.
1: Original UFO move.
0: You ever do that off a diving board?
1: <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> the force of the blow knocked Travis backward almost 20 feet. It was like he stepped on a landmine. They all cried out in horror when they saw Travis motionless on the ground. They thought the blow had killed him. So, obviously, the crew all wanted to get the hell out of there as fast as possible. They all jumped into the car and Mike slammed on the gas. The truck sped off down the road, leaving Travis defenseless and alone with this UFO. Oh,
3: man.
0: I think they were worried for their own. I think they thought he was dead. Well, yeah. And they're like, we got to get out of here or (laughs) dead too. Mike threw the truck and parked just before they reached the Moyon Rim Road. The crew was terrified and completely shocked by what they had just witnessed, and they needed a minute to collect themselves. The men debated amongst themselves whether or not to go back for their injured or possibly deceased crew member. They decided that the men who wanted to stay could build a fire and wait there while the other men looked for Travis. But just as Mike hopped out to get a gas can, he saw the craft again. It raised itself above the treetops and flew off, heading northeast at an incredible speed. Mike got back into the truck and they drove a mile down Rim Road. The crew argued the whole way down until they reached the turnoff to Heber. Mike stopped the car and announced that he was taking it back to find Travis. Anyone who didn't want to go would just have to sit and wait at the turnoff. The crew reluctantly agreed to turn around and go back. So they drove back to the log pile that the UFO hovered near when it hit Travis. But there was no sign of the UFO, and when they got out to investigate, there was no sign of Travis either. There wasn't even a sign that the UFO had been there in the first place. The crew was overcome with emotion, and they headed back to Heber and decided that they needed to tell the police about what they had just witnessed. Ken called the police at 7.30 p.m. once they got to Heber. He reported that one of their crew members was missing, and the deputy sheriff, Chuck Ellison, met the group at a nearby shopping center. The men were pretty badly shaken up, and two of them were crying. They laid out the evening's event to the sheriff, and Sheriff Ellison was very skeptical at first. But he later said that if they were acting, they were awfully good at it. Then Ellison called his superior, Sheriff Marlon Gillespie. Gillespie told Ellison to keep the crew in Heber, and he drove down there with Officer Ken Copeland, and the two arrived after an hour. The crew told them the same story of Travis's encounter with the UFO. Mike insisted that the police use search dogs to try and locate Travis, but there were no dogs available but the police agreed to check out the spot where he was last seen. The crew's story was already wild enough, but it became more suspicious when the police checked out the scene. There was no physical evidence that the ship had been there, and of course, there was no sign of Travis. It was a bitterly cold night in Arizona, and Travis had only been wearing jeans, a t-shirt, and a denim jacket. If he was out there in the woods somewhere, the police were worried that he might get hypothermia. Mike and Sheriff Copeland went to Travis's mother Mary's house that night, and Mike broke the news that Travis was missing and that he'd been potentially abducted by aliens. Mary listened to Mike's story carefully and asked him to repeat it again. Then she asked if anyone else had heard the story other than the crew and the police. Copeland thought Mary's responses were oddly reserved. This made him more suspicious that aliens didn't abduct Travis, but something or someone had done something to him. But Mary was a pretty restrained woman who didn't like to lose her cool. After all, she'd raised six kids through some trying times, and she needed to know how to hold herself together in the face of a tragedy. But as days went by and travis stayed missing mary couldn't hide her emotions friends and even some of her acquaintances watched her break down over the incident
1: the next morning the police continued to search for travis but they didn't find anything they suspected that the whole ufo story was just a cover for a murder or some sort of accident that you know no one wanted to admit to two days later mike and travis's brother Dwayne showed up at the police station and he was absolutely furious They'd just been to the scene and they hadn't seen a single police officer looking for Travis. So the police returned to the site with a helicopter, off road vehicles, and officers on horseback this time, and they still found nothing. By then, Travis's disappearance had made international news. Curious reporters and ufologists flocked to Snowflake to get a piece of the action. Mike told a UFO investigator that he couldn't finish his contract with the National Forest Service because of Travis's disappearance. He hoped that the search would help smooth over that situation. And that was kind of a bad look for Mike. And some people took that statement as a sign that Travis's disappearance was a hoax. Also, Dwayne told the UFO investigator something that didn't help in this case at all. He said that Travis had always been interested in UFOs. He'd reported that he saw a similar UFO a decade before Travis went missing. The two brothers decided that if they ever got the chance to see a UFO for themselves they'd try to get as close to it as possible. He also said that the aliens wouldn't hurt Travis because they don't harm people. After the snowflake mayor heard about these statements, he announced that Dwayne and Mike made the whole alien abduction story up. They apparently tricked the logging crew by lighting a balloon and releasing it at the right time. Lighting a balloon? That really would have tricked
0: them all? Yeah, I don't think so.
1: Okay. The mayor's wife disagreed, though, she thought her husband's story was just as ridiculous as Dwayne's. Police suspected that Alan murdered Travis and that the other coworkers just covered it up. The optics weren't great. Travis and Alan clearly didn't get along, and their story was pretty crazy. The crew panicked. They had no idea what had happened to Travis after they left, and they were going to be framed now for his murder. Alan's mom told him that the police would lock him up and hang him.
0: And that's in fact what the police thought. Here's Deputy Ellison's initial accident theory. Yeah,
1: if
4: they had got into a fight and were goofing around, and one of them killed one of them accidentally, or maybe, and they got afraid and hit him in one of these brush piles, and then concocted this story to to fix it. We need to examine every brush pile to see if there really is somebody here, and if that was what happened. And yeah, we were we were. I told them all to do that. I said, you know, we, we we're not. We don't know what we're looking for. All we're looking for is Travis, and we don't know where we're going to find him or what condition he's going to be in or nothing else.
1: On November 9th, the sheriff went out to the abduction site with a Geiger counter, a tool that measures how radioactive something is. The sheriff discovered that the soil had slightly higher levels of radioactivity, but no samples were collected for further testing. Many people in Snowflake were not happy with the crew's story. They spat at their feet and said things like, we know what you did. Overall, the town was very split on this abduction story. Some people believed that the men murdered Travis, or maybe they were just all on drugs. But drugs couldn't explain what the crew saw. Seven people having identical hallucinations all at the same time just doesn't make sense and definitely doesn't equal drugs. Meanwhile, the police are trying to figure out what happened to Travis. They had the crew take polygraph tests on November 10th. They asked each of the men if they hurt Travis or if they knew who hurt him, or knew where his body was. And they all denied hurting Travis and insisted that they'd actually seen a UFO. Alan didn't complete his polygraph test, so it was considered invalid. But all of the other men passed with flying colors, and they said that the polygrapher actually started slowly believing what they were saying, like became a believer from a skeptic as he was listening to them talk. And that actually convinced Sheriff Gillespie that there was no doubt that they were telling the truth. William H. Spaulding was a member of the group Ground Saucer Watch, and he told Dwayne that if Travis returned, the group would provide him a medical doctor to speak to privately.
0: I also just wanted to add in here, too, there's there's a new film that came out on Discovery Plus where they actually interviewed the crew members and kind of had them walk through the events, and one of the things that is kind of controversial was the actual Geiger counter-readings according to uh, members of the crew that actually went out with the sheriff when they were measuring the radioactiveness of the soil, they said that the Geiger counter was like going off the charts. Like it wasn't even just registering a measurement. It was beyond anything that the Geiger counter could measure. So, you know, again, what the, uh, the official report says versus what the actual crew members that were there said differs a little bit, but I tend to believe the crew members just because they were actually there. At this point in time, the police believed that Travis was dead. I mean, based on the testimony of the crew members and what they had witnessed, it seemed likely that Travis was probably lying dead under some brush, and it was just a matter of finding him. But in actuality, they had no idea that Travis was actually alive in the middle of one of the most unbelievable experiences a human could ever have. Meanwhile, Travis had just been hit by that beam of light, but he was starting to regain consciousness. He opened his eyes and saw a bright light shining above him. He was lying on a reclining bed and he struggled to breathe in the heavy moist air. Burning pains ripped through his body and he felt like he was dying. There was a strange dark grey device that curved over his abdomen. His clothes bunched up around his body and he felt sweat pooling on his face. At first Travis thought he was in a hospital. But when he started to regain consciousness he saw three strange figures next to him wearing orange jumpsuits. And they weren't doctors. These figures were definitely not human. They were alien.
1: It's interesting how in these stories, they're almost always wearing jumpsuits. Never just, they're never naked. They always wear clothes. Yeah, yeah. And it's always a jumpsuit. They're like jeans and a t-shirt or a dress. It's jumpsuits.
0: Maybe aliens only wear jumpsuits.
1: And most of the time they're orange.
0: yeah. Hmm. Orange or blue, it seems like. Yeah. Orange or blue. Weird, which is interesting because I think NASA's space jumpsuits are blue and orange. <laughs> yeah, if you go if you I go pull right, up yeah. pictures of astronauts,
1: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of times they wear orange jumpsuits or blue jumpsuits.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true.
0: But these aliens that he's seeing looked like the Grays, which the Grays are pretty much the most yeah, popular definitely. version of of aliens that all of us know very well. The gray skin, yeah. big head, big eyes, mm-hmm. you know, shorter than five feet, kind of yeah. domed heads.
1: And involved in most of these stories.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. involved in pretty much every alien abduction story that I've ever looked into. Yeah. The aliens or at least one species of aliens are the Greys.
1: And it seems like they're the ones that are initially doing the abduction or they're yeah, I, they're, they're part of the initial abduction team. They're like the
0: workers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like kind of like the henchmen, yeah. sort of kind of the kind pattern of i've noticed yeah yeah mm-hmm. they're kind of like, like fetuses looking like pictures. oh they they look like fetuses <laughs> well sort i mean sort of just like the way their skin is and it's all smooth and hairless are mm. you saying
5: that your baby looks like an alien josh <laughs> she, she he's did. like correct she did, she for, a did a while, for a while no, she, did. she looked
0: very like alien like because the head is less alien way now. bigger than the body for a while yeah her eventually. head is still like pretty big yeah eventually it still evens catching out. up but yeah right right <laughs> with the gray aliens, their noses, mouths, and ears are, are very,
6: very small. What did they look like? They looked uh, uh, like, uh, well, they were four or five feet tall. Humanoid looking. Hairless creatures uh, with uh, very large eyes.
3: Male, female?
6: Can't really tell. Did they talk? Um, no. no, they never, smelled, they never said a word. Never said a word.
1: I think it was pretty cool that Larry King actually had Travis on his show. This was 1993. Mm -hmm. That was the year I was born. My dad would have been so skeptical watching that interview. I wonder if he even saw it because he would watch Larry King like every Oh, really? He might have seen
0: the interview then. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people dismissed him. Oh, for sure. Or just like, yeah, get this crazy guy off there.
1: Would they even bring someone like Travis on CNN nowadays? I Um, can't even like see it happening.
0: Probably not like CNN now. Mm-mm unless unless you know they go on joe rogan sometimes they end up on other networks too you know if it's big Maybe. enough big enough interview
1: i don't know nowadays i feel like they'll be like oh he we went on joe rogan so
0: we're not well, gonna bring well, him on because yeah, of yeah that. there's that but i think also they wouldn't want to like you know cause panic or anything by having somebody go on there and be like i was abducted by okay. by uh, extraterrestrials
1: that's such a shame no more interesting guests
0: yeah no more interesting guests anymore When Travis saw the creatures initially, though, they scared the hell out of him. He actually pushed one of them away, and he noticed that their bodies were pretty light and spongy.
1: Ew. (laughs) Makes me think of, like, Squidward or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like Squidward. He felt weak, but he managed to stand up out of his seat. And the device that was on his abdomen fell to the floor, and the aliens started to walk toward him with their arms outstretched. Then Travis realized they were trying to grab him. That's when he grabbed a glass-like cylinder and tried to snap it into a makeshift knife. The cylinder, when it breaks, we just waved it at the creatures in an attempt to protect himself. He yelled at them to stay back, but the alien said nothing in response.
6: It was very horrible. I, I, I jumped up, and there was this thing laying across me. It fell off, and I knocked them away from me. And uh, I staggered over against the table there, and I lashed out at them with this, this thing that was laying there. But they, uh, they, they started towards me, and then they stopped. And then they turned around and left all at once. And, and that was the last I saw of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know oh, man. what was going on through his head during that. For all his like, yeah, that. okay. Mm. He's always rocking that mustache. Even Moustache. back then. That mustache. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but don't you think that Travis could, like, really elaborate and, like, you know, if, yeah. if he was making it up, like, why not add a little bit more, more? Like, oh, tale. yeah, the aliens said this or that or... You know, or yeah. just even more interaction. But he's just like, yeah, it was weird. They, they mm-hmm. scared me. I pushed them back and then they came at me and then they just turned around and left the room. And he really and sticks with it. the
1: same story. Yeah. throughout All these years, even now, the, interviews, know, it's the yeah. same details. Yep. So after Travis tries to protect himself with that object and yells at them all to stay back, the three aliens said nothing in response. And then they just left the room and Travis left too. he needed to escape whatever hell he was in. He started down the hallway, and that led to a circular room. It was empty except for a tall chair in the center. Travis walked towards it and sat down. And when he did, lights filled the room like stars projected onto a planetarium ceiling. The chair had a strange lever on the left arm and a five-inch lime green screen on the right. When Travis pushed the lever, the stars would rotate, he was hoping that the lever would open up and exit. He decided to look for a door. When he got up, the lights disappeared. There was a noise coming from behind him. When he turned around, he saw a tall human figure wearing blue coveralls and a glass helmet. His eyes were bright gold and larger than usual. Travis shouted questions at the man, but he just grinned and motioned for him to follow. The man led Travis through a hallway, past a mysterious door and down a steep ramp. They entered a large room that looked similar to an aircraft hangar. Fresh air filled Travis's lungs. Travis realized at that point that he had just exited a spacecraft. It looked like the one that he had seen in the forest, but this one was twice as large. In the hangar, there were multiple other saucer-shaped
0: spacecraft. The man then led him to another room where they were greeted by three human-like beings. One appeared to be a woman, and the other two appeared to be men. None of them wore helmets, though, but their blue uniforms matched the helmeted men's. All of the humans had strikingly beautiful features, though. These human-like beings that Travis saw were likely aliens known as the Nordics. If you watched our Alien Species episode, we went into great detail about the Nordic aliens, but basically, in ufology, the Nordic aliens are a humanoid extraterrestrial group that come from the Pleiades star system who resemble Nordic Scandinavians. Since Travis thought that they were humans, he started asking them questions but these human-like beings only grinned at him and sat him down on a small exam table. The woman-like being held something that looked like an oxygen mask and placed it on Travis's face. Before he could fight back though, he passed out. So on November 10th, Travis woke up on the side of the highway near Heber. He was lying on his stomach disoriented and wearing the same clothes from the day he went missing. He looked up and saw the UFO hovering over the highway for a brief moment before it shot off into the night sky with incredible speed. It moved so quickly, but somehow it was still quiet as a mouse.
2: Well, I woke up and it was cold out there and uh, I came pretty clear headed um, immediately, but there was a light above me and I looked to see where that light was coming from, but it went off just as I shifted my gaze in that direction. But I could see the bottom of this craft that, in the dark hovering there for just a second before it shot up into the sky.
0: Once Travis got back up on his feet, he started to run down the side of the highway. He sprinted all the way to a gas station's phone booth and called his sister, Allison. Grant, Allison's husband, answered the phone. It was just past midnight. Travis yelled, they brought me back and said he needed someone to come pick him up in Heber. Grant thought the call was a prank. He was about to hang up when he heard, it's me, Travis. Travis told him that he was at an Exxon station in Heber. Grant was still suspicious that he might be getting pranked, but he agreed to make the drive out there. First, he stopped in Snowflake and picked up Travis's brother, Dwayne. They both figured the call was some kind of joke, but they didn't want to risk it, so they made the long drive up to Heber. When they got there, they found Travis slumped over in the phone booth, and the two of them quickly helped put him in the car. Travis sobbed and tried to tell them what happened, but he couldn't really put the experience into words. He said that aliens with horrible big eyes had abducted him. Travis also told Grant and Dwayne that he must have been out for a few hours, as he only remembered being inside of the UFO for an hour and a half.
1: The whole reality of the situation just hadn't really hit him yet. Grant told Travis that it hadn't just been a few hours, he'd been missing for five whole days. The next morning, Dwayne didn't tell police that Travis had been found. He thought Travis was in no condition to speak to the police. I mean, he was traumatized and practically catatonic. So Dwayne eventually just lied to the police and told them that he had taken Travis to the hospital so they would stay away. Dwayne then brought Travis to William Spaulding's doctor. However, when they arrived in Phoenix, they discovered that the doctor was actually a hypnotherapist. Duane was angry. Spalding had promised a real medical doctor. He told Spalding not to bother the family anymore. Then the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO, reached out to Duane and offered to have two medical doctors examine Travis at Duane's house. So he agreed. But there was a hitch. The National Enquirer called up APRO after Duane agreed to their meeting. APRO didn't have the money for their investigation, so they agreed to give the National Enquirer access to the Waltons in exchange for the funding. The exam started at 3.30 p.m. on that Tuesday. The doctors found that Travis was in good health, but two strange things stood out to them. First, there were no ketones in Travis's urine. Travis said that he went five days with very little food and water, and he did lose weight. But when the body goes without food, it starts breaking down fat. Which is what releases ketones in the urine. Travis figured the aliens must have fed him somehow. He just didn't remember it. Travis also had no bruises, which seemed inconsistent with his story that he was slammed to the ground by a powerful blue beam of light. There was a small red spot in the crease of Travis's right elbow that looked like a needle mark. However, the possible injection mark was not near a vein. A lot of skeptics actually think that the needle mark shows that someone, or Travis himself, injected himself with drugs. But a blood test revealed that there were no drugs in Travis's system. An EEG showed that Travis had an unusual brainwave pattern, bisynchronous waves alternating from front to back. This brainwave pattern wasn't found in an EEG that he had done years later. Sheriff Gillespie heard about Travis's return and met with the Walton brothers that Tuesday night. He wondered if Travis was possibly hit over the head or drugged.
2: Before... I had any contact with my crewmates. Uh, The sheriff was putting out this theory that the crew might have slipped me drugs or hit me over the head or something and caused some kind of delusion. But once I found out that they had seen what I'd seen, you know, then there was no doubt. Uh, I had medical tests that proved there were no drugs in my body. I passed five tests from three different examiners.
0: So as you just heard, Travis had a medical examination which showed no head trauma or traces of drugs in his body. He also told Gillespie that he'd take a polygraph, truth serum, or go under hypnosis to prove that his story was true. So Gillespie set up a secret polygraph exam in Scottsdale to avoid the media frenzy. When the crew found out Travis had returned, they were overjoyed. Not only was Travis safe, but they could breathe some sigh of relief. Everyone would know that they didn't kill Travis. Dr. Harder was brought in by the APRO to hypnotize Travis one to two days after he returned in a Phoenix hotel room. Dr. Harder used regression hypnosis in order to help Travis remember what he had experienced. The hypnosis made Travis feel extremely relaxed and it reduced the extreme terror he felt. He didn't remember anything under hypnosis that wasn't in his conscious memory though. The relaxation just helped him explain it in further detail since he was not overwhelmed by anxiety. Dr. Harder said that Travis could only recall a few hours of his encounter. Interestingly, at some point during the session, Travis apparently hit a mental block At that point, he said he'd die if the session continued. Meanwhile, Spalding claimed that his doctor questioned Travis for two hours and found some significant holes in his story. But Travis and Dwayne said that this didn't happen as they were in the office for 45 minutes tops and they were checking on the doctor's credentials the whole time. The abduction story was starting to blow up in the press and the media eventually got a hold of the news that Sheriff Gillespie set up a polygraph for Travis. Dwayne thought that Gillespie leaked that info and he canceled the test. Gillespie said he didn't leak anything. The story just got so big that nothing could be kept secret. The National Enquirer set up a polygraph for Travis instead. But after the test, the polygraph examiner said the results indicated that Travis was lying. He said that Travis and his crew members made the whole story up, and Travis tried to cheat the polygraph by holding his breath. But Travis accused the polygraph examiner of being unprofessional, biased, and aggressive. Dwayne, Travis, APRO, and the National Enquirer agreed to keep the polygraph results a secret, because they doubted the examiner's methods and his ability to be objective. Travis ended up taking and passing a total of five law enforcement polygraphs. However, the first polygraph's results leaked to the press eight months later, and some of Travis's critics accused him of a cover-up. Polygraph experts were split on the issue. Some said that the examiner's results were valid, but others said his methods were highly outdated. Travis ended up publishing his autobiographical book, The Walton Experience, in 1978 where he laid out the events of his abduction in detail and the media frenzy that followed it. Travis's story attracted many believers, but it also attracted many skeptics. One of Travis's critics argued that his book made some pretty significant errors that damaged his credibility. He said that large portions of the book were pure speculation. For example, Travis wrote about the crew's conversations after they drove away from the abduction scene. The critic argued that Travis didn't tell readers if the crew told him about those conversations, or he just assumed that they said those things. He claimed that issues like these put the whole story's credibility in jeopardy. In 1993, a movie based on Travis's book was released titled Fire in the Sky. The movie is a very dramatized version of Travis's book. Some UFOlogists complained that the film was too inaccurate, especially its portrayal of Travis's time on the UFO. The movie version was almost entirely different from the book versions of events. Really, they're trying to make a horror movie out of his experience. The movie screenwriter actually apologized to fans for the inaccuracies. The studio officials had actually insisted on those changes because they thought Travis's original story was too boring. Travis said that he didn't have any control over any of those decisions around the film. One of the most notable Travis skeptics was Philip Class, a UFO debunker. Philip pointed out that the film, the UFO incident aired on NBC a few weeks before Travis's abduction, and the movie told the story of Barney and Betty Hill, a couple who claimed they were abducted by aliens in 1961. Travis claimed he never saw the film, but Mike had apparently seen part of it. Philip believed Travis and some of his crew members were inspired by the movie, but some people have argued that Travis's abduction story didn't have any similarities to Barney and Betty's.
3: Were you a believer in UFOs? Had you ever spoken about UFOs? Had you ever discussed
6: it? Yeah, I, I, was, I was open to the subject because, uh, you know, I had a family member that had seen one years before, and so, you know, I wasn't completely close-minded on the subject, but I was not a UFO buff. I had not bought a book on the subject or you know been deeply into the subject. You weren't a Whitney a Whitley Striebeheil. Not at all, no. Now you are no i'm not as a matter of fact my way of coping with all this has been to sort of shy away from the subject i've been invited to these conventions and whatnot but you let right. a movie be made yeah yeah and I, I turned down a lot of offers along that how much line. were you paid for the movie the rights to the movie? that's none Travis. of your business but you know, how much are, is uh, some covert agency paying you for your activities
4: i will let you i'll tell you i'll make you an offer uh, i will challenge you to let me examine your income tax for last year. I'll let you examine my income tax return to see if I have any covert source of income. Is that a deal?
3: Phil, why can't you be a little open to the possibility that this happened to Travis?
4: Well, Larry... Uh, if you think there is one chance in a thousand that this happened, that it really happened, I urge you to go to President Clinton and say, don't worry about what's happening in Yugoslavia. Don't worry about what's happening in Russia. Don't worry about what's happening in Somali. This is the gravest threat to the people of this Why? They don't seem to point? bother us. What? They took
3: them. They brought them back. They don't seem to bother us. Presumptions. Uh,
4: well, it is now claimed that they are abducting hundreds or thousands of our citizens. If you think this is true, Larry, I why don't you invite the For secretary Mr. Glass, of Mr. Class, I think you need to
6: separate defense. what I'm saying here from what's going on in the world. I'm yeah. just. Understand-
0: That's actually Larry. A, a great clip to help give you some concept of who. Yeah. Phil Classless. He, I mean, he's a little classless. Major skeptic. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Classless. Oh, burn. I, I like how Travis handled that though. He tra- he yeah. handled that very well. Like, you know, he could have gotten really angry and you know fired back at him. Which yeah. I mean, he he did a little bit, but it seemed like Phil's only ammo he had was the fact that there was a movie made about it and that he's mm-hmm. you know getting publicity from. You're this.
1: making money,
0: right? Right. And and like, so what? Like, if you go through a crazy experience, yeah. like think about the guy who had to cut his arm off, yeah, uh, when he was stuck in rocks. Like, That's a good point. Like, if you go through something traumatic or you have this kind of life-altering experience, and somebody approaches you and is like, "Hey, yeah. we want to make a yeah. film about it," like you have you, every right to yeah. accept mm-hmm. that. And why does that? Why does that automatically mean your experience never happened?
1: Yeah, because you made money off it, you monetize the situation. Therefore, it's not true.
0: Right? You don't see him. So out anyone who here. makes
1: money off of any experience they've had makes it not true. Yeah, it just it's a horrible argument.
0: And he's just saying because it's alien abductions, mm-hmm. even though literally, he basically confirmed like, oh yeah, there's thousands of people that have this experience. That it's just it's like made up.
1: He's like, can you go tell Hillary Clinton to stop wasting your time and all this shit going on in the world? Or, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of them. Stop wasting your time because this is the greatest threat. And I love Larry's response. He's like, well, they were nice. They brought him back. It's all good. Yeah, that's such a weak argument.
5: Uh It's like, well, he didn't kill. They didn't kill him. Mm -hmm. They didn't like rip him to shreds and then drop his pieces of his body on the ground to scare everyone like they're yeah. not killing mass amounts of
1: people like yeah
5: other groups on earth are
1: that's right <laughs> that's that's very true there's no reason to believe they even are a threat right plus the clintons probably already fucking know so i don't think that's going to stop them from anything they're doing here
5: Bill's like i already know yeah he's like
1: <laughs> old news philip
0: yeah <laughs> Well, then Phil was trying, I mean, he's just trying to poke holes in everything, and yeah. he started trying to poke holes in Mike's statements about the forest contract. Uh, he argued that Mike knew he couldn't complete the work at, you know, for the forest contract and needed a way out, and that the contract had an act of God clause, meaning that Mike could get out of the contract if some natural force occurred, like an earthquake or a landslide. Philip also argued, like we just heard, that there was a financial motive to Travis's story, And he said that Mike might have helped stage the abduction to get him out of that forest contract. But after Travis's abduction, Mike never tried to claim the Act of God clause to get out of the contract. Not only that, but Mike had previously failed to complete two of his National Forest Service contracts, and they still rehired him without issue. Dwayne's statements were also another issue for Phil. In an interview before Travis was discovered, Dwayne told a reporter that he didn't think Travis was in danger. Philip also brought up their mother's calm reaction to the news of Travis's disappearance, which, again, everybody acts differently when something happens. And maybe that maybe they really didn't think that he was in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Travis said that the family saw a UFO before, so maybe they were like, you know, okay with it in some weird way. Yeah.
1: Well, and going off of other stories that we've heard, sometimes it seems like people are targeted to be abducted based on their belief in UFOs.
0: Right. Right. Just saying. Mm, that's a good point. But Mike has gone on to say that the three of them are very concerned about Travis being missing, and Travis claimed that his mother was so worried that she had to be sedated, actually. Steve said that in 1980, Philip offered him a bribe of $10,000 to discredit the abduction story. It was a lot of money for Steve, so he considered it. His wife talked him out of it, and she said he knew that the UFO encounter happened and that Steve couldn't lie just to get that money. So Phil's just a dirty dude. He's a dirty dude trying trying to just... Get money, Mm -hmm. too. He's out there getting money. He's on Larry King, too. It's just Mm -hmm. like it's kind of hypocritical to be going after Travis when you're basically trying to do the same thing, Mm -hmm. just from the other side.
1: And like Travis was kind of alluding to in that Larry King clip, Travis and some other ufologists believe that maybe Philip was some sort of intelligence asset or he was working covertly for a government agency. He was well connected with people in those agencies and Travis alleged that he was being paid by the CIA to discredit UFO encounters. I
0: believe it. Yeah. Why not? I mean, we already know that they have, you know, the intelligence oh, yeah. communities have people out there that are trying to mislead or, or, you know, sort of cover up these things mm-hmm. or, you know, make people look crazy in order for them to go away. So yeah, I think absolutely Phil could have been a government asset. But here's a clip of Stanton Friedman. Actually, uh, he recently passed, I think, in the last year or two. He's been a staple in the ufology community and mm. very well respected and he uh, even believed that phil might be an intelligence asset
3: that's why i bring up this notion of he may have been working for the government a there were lots of other people who were working for the government journalists and b it would be his style he used to he complained in one of these conferences you're implying that umpteen presidents have lied to the american public how unpatriotic of course presidents have lied and I don't blame them in some cases. That's the way national security works. And I don't feel I'm part of a conspiracy because I didn't talk about classified matters uh, just off the top of my head. That's a violation of the law, but I respect national security. So on occasions, you have to lie. Uh, Disinformation was a very important thing in winning World War II. It was aimed at Hitler and Japan, but we lied intentionally. Often, Shockingly. powerfully, uh, that's, that's the way the ball game is played. That's like beautifully put, that. put right there. Yeah.
0: I mean, that explains it perfectly, that this this notion that the government never lies, the presidents never lie to us, is a very, yeah. very, very false one.
1: Deputy Ellison also claimed that Philip told him he was a UFO investigator for the U.S. federal government. So there you have it.
4: He identified himself to me as a federal uh, U.S. government UFO investigator, Philip Glass, uh, and, uh, and I think he was, you know. And he was the only U.S. government man that appeared on the scene.
1: So here's a few more clips of the debate between Travis and Philip Class on Larry King Live. It's pretty interesting.
4: First of all, I think
7: it's necessary for people to know just exactly what Philip Class really this is. is Mike, Who he really is. Uh, he's nothing more... Than a disinformation specialist from Washington D.C., the man has used character assassination, mudslinging, and uh, outright fabrications in an attempt to cover up the truth. You a goddamned liar, Mike Rogers, and I I have caught you
4: in falsehood after falsehood, and you know it.
7: No. Yeah, you, you have made outright
4: fabrications in an attempt to cover up the truth about our incident. They found no bruise marks. They found no burn marks. They found no physical damage. The only thing was a, like a, a needle mark in his his elbow. So there was no physical evidence. When the morning after this incident allegedly occurred, when the law enforcement officers went to the site to inspect, they found all kinds of dry pine needles, which if this had actually happened, those needles would have been blasted away, they would have caught
6: fire, they would have burned. Why are you laughing, Travis? Well, because this is typical of the sort of reasoning pattern this man uses in attacking all UFO cases, Uh, he's equating the. The absence of evidence to be the evidence of absence. That's absurd, you know, and that, that's uh, actually a logical fallacy. And uh, he does understand? not know the nature of this energy beam. He, he, he presumes to know. But I know, know the
4: nature of somebody being blasted through the air 10 feet and hitting their shoulder against rock. There should be bruise marks. But let's talk about some other evidence. That Late that night, a, um, a deputy sheriff, Ken Copeland, together with Mike Rogers, went to the Gibson Ranch House, where Travis's mother was staying, to break the news to her that her son apparently had been zapped by a UFO and had been abducted. Right. And, and uh, Sheriff Copeland told me, he said, when I went there, he said, I was, I was afraid she was going to become hysterical. She was going to break into tears. I didn't know what would happen. And when Mike Rogers told the mother what allegedly had happened, she said, took it very calmly. She says, well, those things happen. And then she started to tell the officer about her own UFO sighting and the time that the other well, son, Dwayne, had been something. chased by a UFO. But, uh, and, tell her, hold on. Uh,
7: you know, I was there. I was, one of, I was there with Ken Copeland and I was there with Travis's mother. And Ken Copeland has embellished this thing to beat hell uh first Boy, of all you're challenging you're, the truthfulness of this i certainly work. am i certainly am well, there not? there were t- well, there were three people on, there though. there were Here. three people there me travis's mother and ken copeland travis's mother does not say that these things were said like this i can testify that they were not said like this it's, it's Ken Copeland's word against the two of us. Have you asked Ken why he's not telling the truth? I haven't talked to Ken Copeland since then.
6: Well, you, yeah. s- you see, you know, my mother is a very self-reliant person. She was staying in a cabin miles from nowhere by herself. She's not that sort of person. She raised six kids by herself. She's a very strong woman. And she's not somebody to just fly to pieces because somebody uh, is telling her that her son <laughs> is missing.
1: So after the film premiered, Travis, Mike, and Alan agreed to take another polygraph test. And again, all three of them passed. Travis re-released his book that year, changing the book's title to the movie title. And in its re-release, Travis added rebuttals to some of Philip's claims. And Mike Rogers actually did the book's illustrations. In 1983, Philip made a statement for the UFO newsletter Saucer Smear, where he put a curse on any ufologist who spoke or even thought poorly of him. His curse said, no matter how long you live, you will never know any more about UFOs than you know today. You will never know any more about what UFOs really are or where they come from. You will never know any more about what the U.S. government really knows about UFOs than you do today. As you lie on your own deathbed, you will be as mystified about UFOs as you are today, and you will remember this curse. Interesting for a man like him to be using the word curse.
0: Yeah, he's... He's batshit crazy. Yeah, he really does seem. like He really that. is. I mean, he's he's just out there trying to. I mean, he could be a paid government disinformation agent, or he could just be somebody out there seeking attention. But from the other side, being a skeptic, and yeah, there's. I mean, there's whole shows out there, podcasts even of, of, of skeptics that just all they do is they go around and claim to debunk everything, and it's just like those. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for those people, honestly, that they live in this world where they can't believe in anything unless they have physical concrete proof that meets their standards
1: yeah which obviously i i do feel like it's good to be skeptical in some cases and but here he doesn't really have much to go off of even in his argument on larry king i mean it's pretty weak
0: no he's just he's just more angry at them yeah
1: (laughs) because he thinks they're liars
0: because they're telling him that he's a disinformation agent yeah
1: so in spring of 1994 mike went back to the abduction site And he saw that one tree on the edge of the clearing looked a lot bigger than it should have been. He took a core sample and found that 85 years of the tree's rings were normal, but the most recent 15 years were significantly thicker than the rest. About a decade later, Travis and Mike went back up to the site to investigate the trees. They got cross sections of the trees on the edge of the clearing. Those trees had thickened growth rings, but only on the side that faced the spacecraft. Also, one of the crew members actually developed skin cancer on his right arm, which had been exposed to the elements after Travis left the truck's door open. The cancer may have been caused by the UFO's radioactivity. The sheriff did find elevated radiation levels in the soil a few days after the abduction, which strengthened Travis's story. In 2009, Travis appeared on Fox's Moment of Truth game show, Before the show, he took a polygraph, and they asked if Travis had been abducted by aliens in 1975. And this time, he ended up failing the polygraph. Travis was shocked, but he told the host that the polygraph was 97% accurate, not 100%. And he repeated that he has passed five law enforcement polygraphs.
5: Were you abducted by a
4: UFO on November 5th, 1975?
6: Yes.
1: That answer is false. (laughs) Well, look at his wife. I think it's interesting that he even chose to go on like game shows and things like that. I mean, it just, I feel like just an opportunity to be discredited. And plus, it is a game show. Or be credited. I mean, I think he was hoping it was going to be just
0: another public you know, maybe credit know. for him, but,
1: but it kind of adds to the argument for people that think he's out to make money.
0: Off well, of this. It, well, And also you got to think from the show's perspective, it'd be, be really great TV to embarrass the guy that claims to be oh, yeah. abducted by UFO. Right. yeah. But after the craziness of the abduction died down, Travis stayed in snowflake and he eventually became a lumber mill foreman. He and Mike's sister, Dana, actually ended up falling in love, and she and Travis got married, and they ended up having four kids together.
1: Dana was the one that was just on the show.
0: Right. Mike, Dana, and Travis got to travel the world together. They spoke at UFO conferences and made radio guest appearances all across the globe. Travis and Dana ended up separating, but they still get along, and sometimes she joins him on speaking tours. Mike and Travis stayed best friends for a long time, but unfortunately, their friendship has been pretty rocky in recent years. Travis still lives in Snowflake to this day, and he still talks to other crew members, including John, Ken, and Steve. Dwayne Smith and Alan Dallas have since passed away. Steve Pierce hated the attention that the abduction brought him. He changed his name and hid out in Texas for 30 years. Whenever he got a new girlfriend, he'd tell them the abduction story, and they'd make him take a polygraph just to prove it. Ken believes the abduction was a very religious experience. He refuses to make paid media appearances because he doesn't want to tarnish the sacred nature of the event.
1: I like Ken's approach to that. That's yeah. my only criticism on Travis. I mean I I see the alternative argument here, but Sure. I like how Ken is you just know. keep it like special yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Sure.
0: In 2015, Travis attended a UFO conference called the Skyfire Summit in Overguard to commemorate the fortieth anniversary of his abduction. Crew members Mike and John also attended the event. Travis went back out to the abduction site, which was burned in a two thousand two forest fire. The Forest Service eventually decommissioned the logging road to the site. Travis is still going out there and speaking at UFO conventions. He goes on podcasts and does other events pretty regularly. At first, he felt very isolated in Snowflake after his very public abduction. He kind of became a hermit, but now he's thankful that there's a community of like-minded people where he's free to tell his story.
2: Well, you know, the the interest in me, uh, it, it was horrible. You know, it was like a bug in a jar and people would stare at me. So. I, I, that was when I very first grew my mustache and I, I put a hat on, put a cowboy hat on, pulled it way down, driving around. They spotted me right off. Yeah, we saw Travis. He's trying to hide. You know.
0: There have also been rumors that a movie remake of Fire in the Sky is in the works, and a documentary about the abduction titled Travis, the true story of Travis Walton, was released in 2015. The documentary filmmakers helped Travis and Mike with their tree research and they discovered that after the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, the trees there actually grew faster. The radiation in Chernobyl rained down over the whole area, so the trees grew uniformly. But the tree growth in the abduction area wasn't uniform like the Chernobyl trees, so the crew thinks that the spacecraft may have let off just enough nuclear energy to thicken the tree rings on the sides closest to the UFO. Those trees could be a key piece of physical evidence that supports the crew's UFO story. In January of 2021, Travis was interviewed on the Joe Rogan Experience. He reported that he's seen multiple other UFOs of different shapes and sizes since his abduction. Dwayne believed Travis was dead when he first went missing, but Travis thinks his brother was eventually convinced by the abduction story because of Dwayne's past UFO sighting. According to Travis, 10 years before he was abducted, Dwayne saw a tic-tac-shaped UFO while deer hunting in the woods. The hunting spot was only about 10 miles from where Travis was taken. Unfortunately, Dwayne Walton passed away in 2011 at the age of 62. The abduction area has a high level of lightning strikes, and when lightning strikes rock or sand, it creates mineral-like substances called fulgurites. Travis has wondered if aliens may have been in the area because of those fulgurites. Travis doesn't think he was chosen by the aliens. Instead, he believes that he was accidentally damaged by the UFO, and the aliens abducted him to try and correct the damage they caused. Travis said his abduction experience was traumatic, but it wasn't because he was actually in danger. He just didn't know enough about the aliens to realize that they wouldn't hurt him. It really was hard to process such an overwhelming experience at first. Travis doesn't think aliens are evil or intend to harm people. After all, they did drop him off alive. They're advanced beings, so if they wanted to wipe out humans, they would have done it already. Travis doesn't want people to be afraid of aliens or UFOs. He says evil green aliens are just a Hollywood stereotype and a government disinformation campaign. All he really wants is for people to realize that we're not alone in the universe. And people who've encountered UFOs shouldn't be afraid to speak up and speak out.
1: That's hard, though, because someone who's experienced it could see Travis's experience and think, hmm, do I want to put myself through that? Do I want the attention that he was just talking about in that clip? Probably not. (laughs) No. I think it's really interesting that he has chosen to stay in Snowflake.
0: Yeah. You would think that he'd want to leave town and hide somewhere.
1: I mean, I could see maybe if you'd want to be there because you'd almost be like a local celebrity. Yeah, but... I think
0: I think that he is a local celebrity there. Yeah. So why not leave? Why Why would you want to leave a <laughs> place like that?
1: He probably does feel connected to it too.
0: Yeah. Having the I abduction know. site nearby.
1: It's very interesting.
0: I was just going to put a theory out there because for me, the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is the other human-like beings on aboard the ship. And maybe they were another, you know, it's interesting to me that two species of aliens would be on the same ship working together. I think there's also a possibility that it wasn't in fact Nordic aliens on board, but in fact it was actually human beings mm. that were on board with these gray aliens. Hmm. Because if you go back into to UFO history and you go all the way back to Roswell and the Roswell crash and you know the craft that was retrieved, which was how we back engineered the technology, and two the beings that were recovered from the crash site which were reportedly gray aliens my my theory and i think it's a theory shared by others out there is that what actually has happened in many alien abduction stories is not this like necessarily crazy story of aliens from another galaxy here to just like check us out and mm-hmm. all of a sudden this all this goes down they shoot the beam and he's taken by these aliens to try to correct the correct the damage that they caused because they felt bad for him. I, I think, and, and this has actually been proven through CIA documents that have been declassified. CIA during the 1980s, um, which is kind of around this time period, and maybe even before that for all we know, simulated UFO abductions in Latin America as part of a psychological warfare experiments.
1: Oh, yeah, that so, did run through my mind.
0: So if you think about it, I think there's a very good possibility and maybe why somebody like Philip Klass was out there going so hard against his -hmm. stories because what actually happened was this craft was actually not extraterrestrial in nature, but a back-engineered craft that we either recovered from an extraterrestrial being that crashed it here, or it was something man-made that we created in a top-secret government uh, base somewhere. And in fact, what we were doing was human beings alongside these gray aliens, which we recovered these gray aliens, perhaps one of them survived or perhaps we've even figured out how to clone them or create new gray beings. Or even some people think they're AI beings like that's why they don't speak. And they're just kind of like these like little worker bees, basically, Mm -hmm. that maybe they're controlled by this whatever the secret organization that does these experiments is. This was all planned, basically. That this was a planned abduction that they were testing out technology that they had and what perfect place to do it than in the middle of the forest in Arizona. You got these loggers that are out there and maybe the plan was, in fact, to abduct one of them for some type of research to see you know, or some type of psychological experiment for warfare or something like that. Just like what's stated here in the CIA declassified documents.
1: So the Greys that he saw would they have been like you said like ai
0: like human made huh. like the, there there's a lot of people that believe the gray aliens are not necessarily like from another star system like mm-hmm. we captured a few from roswell and since then we've cloned them and created created sort yeah, of these ro- even before. like humanoid robotic humanoids uh, in a way
1: so going back to one thing you said though you don't think that it's possible for a craft to have multiple species of aliens aboard?
0: I think it's from the stories that I've seen. I think it's unlikely. But I,
1: you believe David Huggins, and there was like three species. Yeah, at least. but I
0: think I think his is a whole different experience. I don't put it in the same category as this. Like I think there's different types of what are the categories. I think, well, I just think that that was a that was a different kind of experience. I don't even necessarily think that he was. I think David may have even like. Astral projected into that experience versus this was like a physical abduction. You know what I mean? Like he, mm-hmm. th- that was more of like a a spiritual journey there because of the meditation that he does and all of the things that he does in that regard. I almost think that that was some sort of out of body experience that he had with multiple alien groups because it wasn't necessarily. This is much more. It didn't start with a craft, right? It started with the beings coming to was
1: it real then or was he are you saying he like kind of dreamt it in a way
0: i think it was this weird in between i think he was in this weird state of consciousness like between universe yeah or uh kind of between dimensions dimensions. a little bit yeah like i think he was kind of it's a different i just think it's a different experience i can't really explain his experience Mm. completely no No, nobody can (laughs) i mean he's a special guy i think he had a very special experience and it was a more you didn't
1: bring that up during that episode because i kind of see that point now that you say that oh well <laughs> should have said that back then maybe I would have believed it a little more
0: yeah well I, I thought about it more and just with these physical alien abduction stories like Betty Barney Hill I think Betty Barney Hill was another military alien abduction did I they don't think... have
1: only greys aboard
0: they had greys and they had a human on there they had like a red-headed human on board so it's like, it's just weird that it's always greys with like a human-like being. And, and sometimes they're described as being Nordic aliens. But again, I don't, have we don't, we have far less proof of Nordic aliens than we do gray aliens, if that makes sense.
1: Or maybe Nordic aliens are a human-alien hybrid. Right. And they work True. with greys who could are. Be.
0: Yeah, it could just be a, a, an
1: AI bot
0: could situation. Be. That's how they do it. Could be. I think even uh, Tom DeLonge in his Joe Rogan interview, which you haven't heard that, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. talk that he has. I think Tom DeLonge also believes that the gray aliens are are not are like back engineered. We like took their DNA cuz we recovered mm-hmm. their bodies mm-hmm. and we in secret labs were Man. doing crazy cloning. We're doing all sorts of uh hybrid, you know, I mean, we just which by the way, we just figure um, scientists just mapped the entire human genome, which is pretty big deal to to like that's a big look into the genetics and what makes us who we are right so we have that we just mapped the human genome who doesn't say that some government top secret lab with the smartest people in the world didn't already do that years and years and years ago and it just was mm-hmm. never made public because most likely things are farther advanced than we even know
1: kind of seems that's normally how it goes. i mean in
0: 19 you know 1975 this kind of thing is existing I just have kind of gone away from this whole idea that just aliens are here observing us. And that it's just like this happens chance sort of.
1: You think it's more government involved in. Some
0: of yes. These- I yeah. think I think a lot of it is. I think a lot of UFO sightings are, are man-made craft that's been back engineered hmm. from alien craft. But I don't necessarily think that every UFO we see in the sky is some extraterrestrial origin. It might look like a or saucer, but we have had saucers talk to Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar was yeah. back engineering the the sport model which is the right. classic saucer right. UFO back in the the 80s or whatever. Yeah, so it's like point. And nowadays the, the UFOs we're seeing are not even saucer shaped most of the time. Like the Tic Tac uh with the whole US Navy chasing that Tic Tac mm-hmm. UFO was like a little mm-hmm. freaking cylinder. Yeah. So it's like they're changing the shape of this, the UFOs we're seeing now are changing and becoming different shapes and and sort of you know mm-hmm. being able to do different things than back in the 70s and 80s and 50s and which was just a saucer mm-hmm. and so it's changing and evolving over time is that because we're being visited by different aliens maybe or yeah, maybe. or is it the groups that are making these things on this planet whether it be with aliens help or not becoming are better better. becoming yeah. better and better at it
1: that's an interesting theory i didn't think of it that way
0: but, I mean, I just go back to the CIA docs that they were literally simulating alien abductions in Latin America for psychological warfare experiments. This is, I can, I'll can, i link it below if you want to look at it. But there's literally declassified documents that said the CIA was literally doing this. Uh-huh. So that doesn't, this That's idea that the government is the ones conducting alien abductions mm-hmm. doesn't seem that far-fetched.
1: Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's an interesting theory for sure. It's hard to say either way, obviously, but... Okay, I already know how you feel. You believe Travis. You think this was a, gov- a government involved abduction.
0: Yeah, I, I think his story is true. I think mm-hmm. everything that happened to him is true. I think I, I don't. I don't have anything to not believe it's true.
1: I agree. I don't have things that stand out to me, and the the five original polygraph tests given by law enforcement say a lot to me. I think I am like ninety five percent in belief of Travis. Whether or not it was government involved or actually an alien abduction, I'm totally out on that one. I have no idea. Janelle, what do you think? Is Travis telling the truth?
5: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like 80% okay. there. Like, I'll wow. never be okay. 100% unless you like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe you get it happens up. to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I definitely think he's one of the more believable. Yeah, believable of the stories that we've covered. Could it be like some type of psychological break or something, maybe? But but if it was, all six of them had yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say all the
0: other six dudes had the same break when they <laughs> saw the UFO.
5: Right, that does make it harder. I mean, to play Devil's Advocate, couldn't they have like all come up with this whole story on their own and then like made sure that you know this is what we saw, this is what happened to us, blah blah mm-hmm. blah? Again, I'm not saying that they did. I I'm just never going to sit here and be like. One hundred percent, Travis. was yeah. abducted by aliens, and they saw it, and blah blah blah. But I definitely think he's one of the more believable incidents that we've looked at.
1: I think if it was like three dudes, I would agree more with that. Six but is the a more lot. there are, yeah, the, it's harder to sure. c- keep a consistent story. Even if you look at true crime, yeah. when people make lies in a group, normally over the years, one person's going to crack or like miss one thing mm-hmm. or mess up a detail and. They're all very consistent. Yeah. But I agree with you. I mean, you, you never truly know. And there could be some reason for them to make it up that we don't even know about. Yeah. It's it's difficult. How
5: uh, can you believe it I mean, it how do you
0: explain away the radiation, though?
5: Yeah, that was that's the thing weird. that was probably the most compelling to me. hmm Because that's scientific fact. I mean, right? at the very least. With photo evidence. Yeah, yeah. I
0: would say from, like, a skeptical perspective, at the very least, maybe they saw something in the sky that night. Oh, that yeah. That you know, they saw the UFO, but then you totally. could say, well, maybe Travis just went and, like, hid in the forest for five days and then came back and said I had this experience for whatever reason. It's just, like, motive. It's, like, what's the motive behind that other than he just yeah. wanted to get famous off of this incident, which yeah. it could happen. People do weird shit. People do do weird mm-hmm. shit like that. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Sherry Papini over here <laughs> right. doing wild shit for t- money. Sherry so, Pops. people do do crazy stuff for money, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. I no. just think it's That's a really rough road to go. I think
5: that if I, like, put a percentage of belief towards them seeing something like you were saying, it's, like, I would say I'm up, like, to 90-95. Like, I think they probably definitely saw something weird and were, like, Mm -hmm. spooked as far as, like, this entire thing of, like, him going with the aliens and the cylinder and, like, the... Like, that whole thing, that's a little bit more of a reach for me personally, but yeah. not to say, I, I mean, I certainly think it could have been possible. This is, like I said, one of the more compelling stories we've covered.
1: Yeah, definitely. Curious, if it was an abduction, are you more likely to believe that it was government involved or actually aliens? It's mm, a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I don't know. Not enough information.
5: <laughs> I don't trust the government for shit, that's for sure. And the fact that, you know, you're saying that more and more you believe that these things are done by the government because they're crazy. <laughs> I completely believe that 100 percent that the government is like fucking with us in many ways, yeah. Than just this, yeah. They would do something it's just like really, absolutely. They would.
0: My thing that gets really hard is when you really dive into like politics and sort of what's happening in the world and where the major events that happen throughout world history. And everything comes back to the military-industrial complex. It always comes back to war and fighting and a threat. Mm -hmm. And this is where I tend to agree with with Dr. Greer because he believes that, you know, the next big thing we're going to experience is... a. Faked or hoaxed alien yeah. invasion. I where, believe that. Where yeah, the yeah. government's going to be like, we're under attack from these extraterrestrials from who knows where. Probably in our lifetime. And we need to beef up all mil. It's all hands on deck military mm-hmm. operation in order to you know feed that beast. Yeah, right? and not to
5: mention if they're like, oh my god, we're under attack, and you poor civilians can't do shit. But if you listen to us yeah. and give us all your money and give us all your trust, we're yep. gonna save you. We're gonna take care of you. I mean, what better way to continue to control society? than some outside force right,
0: right. coming mm-hmm. to us.
5: Yep. I 100% believe that that's going to happen. I agree. And and the more that time goes on, the more I believe it, because it seems like the talk of UFOs and this whole buzz is becoming more and more. and Yeah. And it's becoming more, I guess, mainstream, you could say. Oh, totally,
1: especially with the creation of the Space Force.
5: Oh, yeah, right. So I'm like, are they planting all these little (laughs) seeds so that one day when aliens attack and oh my God, they're evil and they're here to kill us all, it's not as far-fetched. And we're like, oh my God, we all saw this coming.
1: We better like
5: hope that the government can save us. They're teeing it up. Yeah, Yeah, I
1: agree.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's almost like clear as day Mm -hmm. if you think about it. And at the same time, like, do I think that there's potentially an otherworldly species or, you know, aliens out there observing us? Sure. I think absolutely, but I think it's not in the way that we, I think oftentimes the things that we do see and that that are caught on camera aren't alien Yeah. because I feel like the aliens that are here and traverse across light years away to be here are just not going to be detectable by us. Like, that's what I'm
5: saying. Like they're, if they're smart enough to get over here, they're fucking way smart enough to make sure that they're not detected by our dumb asses. Like, oh, well, what is that light in the sky? Like, you don't think they thought of that? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean they're basically true. interdimensional. I mean to be to be a civilization at a point where you can travel light years across the universe mm-hmm. in order to just do some surveillance on on like you're you're doing that in a way that is beyond any form of technology right. that exists I think in the entire universe. Like I think at this we're talking something that can't be explained by science as we know it, right? Mm-hmm. Like our smartest minds if we were shown the the abilities of these other extraterrestrial civilizations that are out there they would even be able to under there would be no level of knowledge that we currently have right now as human beings that could possibly understand or compute how they're doing this i mm-hmm. think it's beyond our our understanding it's almost like they're gods i almost look at aliens now as like they are the gods of the universe there's other civilizations that are higher on the Kardashev mm-hmm. scale mm-hmm. that are at a godlike status where they can harness suns they can literally build structures around suns. Right. And we're sitting here like, you know, yeah. oh, applying sunscreen to our skin <laughs> to keep us from burning. And so, they're building whole they're yeah. living around stars.
1: Is it that type of thinking that makes you think that Travis's abduction is too simple to have been done by That's actual Yes.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. This is way too simple.
1: So it's almost like the idea that it's it's planted by the government or staged. By yes. the government in order to keep planting right. these ideas in our head. Right. To and have people the like the UFO lore there.
0: going. It keeps yeah. us believing. Yeah, yeah it a makes people a little more having sense. These stories, it, that it has us it gives us something to hold on to, to have faith in and believe in. And and that's why there's this whole community of people that all follow it. Like mm-hmm. yeah. the UFO community is like a cult in itself. Mm-hmm. It's like these people yeah, are, are very they hold on to their beliefs. They hold on yeah. to these things and in, in which, all like, different ways it's like denominations yeah almost. Of it's, which it is it's like slice
1: a slice of ufology are
0: you going to believe in right and everybody's got in fighting yeah. and just like there's uh, all this, there's a lot of fighting it's a whole thing and mm-hmm. and i think that's on purpose i think this is a planned deal mm-hmm. and it's just that makes a lot of sense when you put it like that
5: yeah i almost feel hypocritical being like yeah i totally believe he was abducted by aliens because on one side I'm saying why would aliens come here so obviously they're mm-hmm. way smarter than us they're so beyond our intelligence that we're never going to understand it but then on the other hand I'm also saying that yeah he was probably abducted and this was real like well, you're but saying they're he's too smart
1: abducted whether by or not something. it was but, yeah right. I don't
5: think necessarily it was by aliens because right. then that like debunks my whole theory of but they're yeah. so fucking brilliant that yeah if they wanted to come here they would be here and we would have no no idea
1: yeah honestly you two are both swaying me the other way that this was staged kind of yeah not by
0: him but by
1: something like he was literally abducted
0: yeah and he was interacting with what he described as humans and that to me Mm. that to me is very just Mm. just kind of leans in the direction of that this was orchestrated by some Uh some earth group that does this kind of thing and they're they're out there and i mean if you if you even dive into the the history of any of this you know for a fact that there's these organizations that exist they're yeah they're out there there's there's whole i mean there's underground tunnels leading to underground bases there's all sorts of craziness going on with the military industrial complex there's like there's classifications that are infinitely higher than what the president has i mean there's there's so many different things mm-hmm. that we can prove with documents and things that are declassified and and just hearing from people that actually worked in it, like Lou Elizondo, who led the Pentagon's UFO research program. I've watched a lot of him. He's done tons of interviews. And he said some very, I would love to have him on the show and maybe I can mm. I can get him on and interview him um, or we can interview him at cool. some point because he he said some things that I'm just like, he knows a lot, clearly. He mm-hmm. was deep within the government and he knows that in the idea of threat is this national security threat -hmm. Among anybody related to government UFO research continues to come up. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what is that threat? And that's what we're we're trying to figure out. Like, what's the threat? Is it is it extraterrestrial or is it something that's being made right here on Earth Mm -hmm. that we just don't know about? We we cloned sheep Mm -hmm. long time ago. Yeah. So the cloning technologies exist. Yeah. So why couldn't they be cloning aliens? using DNA that they they retrieved from Roswell Mm. almost 100 years ago now or 80 years ago. And that's, they have these sort of little, yeah could be, you know, Mm. when you clone something, how do you get consciousness into that being? Don't ask me. AI. Ah. You give it consciousness and AI is a consciousness in itself. Mm Mm-hmm so that's what these things are that's why they they seem so very robotic they don't talk because it's like aliens they would be telepath. you know they would be they'd be communicating with you in some way they would fi- they would know how to communicate with you mm-hmm. and why did there was not a single bit of communication throughout his entire experience yeah, yeah. why is it always board? so
5: simple like all the time when these people come in contact with yeah. aliens it's like oh they didn't say much they smiled they right. like did this weird thing and <laughs> right. then i and then I, that was it right because right, they're the like does that mean
0: Thank you for participating in our experiment. Uh, we're gonna make you think this is all legit yeah. by not saying anything to you and not giving you any information. Uh-huh. Thanks for participating.
1: Well,
0: have a nice life. Versus, if you were like if you were actually taken, like, and I think to be taken by a real alien it involves leaving your human body, uh-huh. that because you have to transcend to a whole other dimension to even interface with the actual otherworldly beings that exist in the in the universe. It's not as simple as just. Sit the alien down right there in its physical form. Maybe it can appear in a physical form, but I feel like a lot of them don't even appear in a physical form. They appear in another, in a totally different way that our eyes can't perceive. Yeah. And for all we know, they could be all around us, otherworldly beings. And yeah, I think absolutely. the paranormal world, when you talk about hauntings mm-hmm. and all kind of orbs up. and all these things people see, yeah. they're all tied together. It's all happening around us. It's just, we can't see it. And when we do see strange things, lights and stuff like that, Maybe sometimes we're catching glimpses of, of this other realm that exists, but oftentimes, especially up in the sky, we're dealing with military aircraft. And I mean, the area, Snowflake, Arizona, tons of military bases down there. Mm. That's where they did the atomic bomb. All the Roswell's not far from there. It's the desert. It's the middle of the desert. Area fifty-one, desert.
1: Yeah,
0: all the top secret military shits in the fucking desert. That's where it's going on. I mean,
1: that's some good points here. So really making me think.
0: I'll get off my soapbox. but
1: (laughs) No, I enjoyed that. That was very interesting. I went into this feeling a completely different way as far as what his abduction was.
0: Well, I think a lot of people just sort of take it like, oh, he thinks he was abducted by aliens from another planet. That's insane. Oh, I didn't
1: think that. I believed him. But as far as what he was actually abducted by, now I'm really sorry.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like people go into these abduction stories being skeptical right off the back because Mm -hmm. they don't know all this other stuff. Right. So they're just assuming that the guy and and I think Travis believes he was abducted by aliens from another yeah. planet. So that's his that's his experience, but I think likely it wasn't that and it was something else and he just doesn't or maybe have not. that knowledge. I mean, or, I we don't, don't know. know.
1: That's just one theory. I want to know what your <laughs>
0: theories are. So yes. leave
1: them in the comments. we love to hear from you guys or tweet us at mile higher pod. pod. Yes. Yeah, just pod. And that's gonna be it for us today guys. Let us know if you found this episode as interesting as we did Yeah, and if you want to see more, you know, I've got plenty phenomenal plenty
0: more topics so that we could dive into I enjoy it. I would love to dive into more spiritual and paranormal Activity and sort of you know What does spiritualism mean to you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to other people? Let us know i yeah. be interested to talk about that more.
1: I'm sure people would be down for that But that is gonna be it for us today guys.
0: We will see you next time.
1: But until then, keep on taking your mind
0: a mile higher.